The Founding Fathers, American Revolution, Our Constitution, Our History, America. Thanks so much for tuning in as we discuss the people, places, events, and battles that turned 13 separate colonies into the greatest nation on earth, the United States. Hi, and thank you so much for tuning in this week. I'm excited to have you here. Last week uh, in our show, we gave an overview of the 13 colonies and the people living there. We covered what it would look like or what it looked like at the time, discussed what types of jobs they would have, and provided an overall summary of what life was like here in America during that time. Today, we're going to do the same thing, except we're going to be talking about England and get a glimpse of what living in England looked like during the colonization. There's two sides to every story, right? And uh, I feel it's important to have an idea of both us and them, uh, which helps us better understand the moods, positions, and attitudes all of which are going to come out in full strength during the Revolution. A little history on England itself. It broke away from Europe for a few reasons, but hands down the number one reason was religion. It seems to always be the reason, uh, or lack of freedom expressing it. it. This actually took place when Queen Elizabeth I reigned in the 1600s. I don't know about you, but when I think of a queen, I think of a beautiful lady in a gown and wearing a crown filled with jewels and royalty and wealth and being fair and kind and loved and adored by by the people that she uh, reigned over. This queen wasn't quite like that. She did have the wealth and power, but she used it not always for good. Uh, In fact, she helped uh, support financially and otherwise raids that pretty much stole from the Spanish. Uh, making her and her her inner circle uh, and the higher-ups very wealthy in the process. Now, where did Spain get all of these treasures, like gold and silver? Well, they got it from land located here in the 13 colonies, and England did not want to let that slip through their fingers. They wanted a part of the riches, so England sent people here to colonize. So they would basically tell them, go to the colonies, have land, uh, get some land, make a nice life for yourself, and all the while, we are going to protect you. That was the main theme, but they did have ulterior motives. Now, when we go back to 1689, King William and Queen Mary took the throne of England in what was called the Glorious Revolution. And it was a big shift because it replaced a king and created a parliament. Now, King William and Queen Mary have a college named after them, which is the College of William and Mary. The College of William and Mary is located in Williamsburg, Virginia, and it's the second oldest college in the United States, right behind Harvard. In 1693, when the college was created, uh, Williamsburg, the city, didn't even exist, but that's where it's located now. A little tiny bit of a side note in history of William and Mary. It's the first college to have Greek letter society, that being Phi Beta Kappa, and that uh, was formed in 1776, kind of an important year. William and Mary College was also the first college to have a law school and was the first college to become a university. It's not the original original, as it had burned down three times, 
but each time they rebuilt it, they used the same walls. So it is the oldest, that building on the, on the campus is the oldest college building that's in existence. George Washington attended William & Mary when he was 17, and he received his surveyor's license. And future presidents uh, like John Tyler, James Monroe, and Thomas Jefferson uh, received their undergraduate de- degrees at William & Mary. The idea to have a law school in William & Mary was, of course, Thomas Jefferson. Uh, he attended William & Mary in 1760, and he actually lived or dormed in the Wren Building. Thomas Jefferson was 16 years old when he started college, and he focused on mathematics and philosophy. I just think that's bizarre, that one, you, you start college at 16, and then those are the things that you focus on. Such brilliant, brilliant men back then seemed to really want to better themselves, and they took the steps, and they worked hard to get there. I, I, I think it's uh, very admirable. He also uh, perfected speaking French. He played the violin, and it is documented that it was not uncommon for him to study 15 hours a day. Now, he did receive his undergraduate degree, but let's just say he didn't think William and Mary was quite up to the standard that he envisioned a college to be. So, being Thomas Jefferson, uh, he, in 1819, after his presidency and after the Revolutionary War, he created his own college, and that was the University of Virginia. He believed that libraries and books were so important that the entire campus was focused around the library. In fact, when you go there today, as it looked back then, it resembles his home, Monticello. So uh, the dome on his home is very similar to the library at the University of Virginia. The dorms are uh, around the library in a semicircle or an arc, uh, arch around it. The other buildings kind of surround it, and but it, that is the focus, is the library. Thomas Jefferson was an avid reader. In fact, he had 6,487 books in his possession, which was just one of his book collections. Uh, he sold that, and that purchase started the Library of Congress, so it's kind of cool. So we have visited William & Mary College, the University of Virginia, as well as Monticello, and they're pretty amazing structures. And They do house a lot of books, but the history that took place, the decisions that were made, the people that were groomed in these places, it would be quite a thrill to be a fly in the wall back then. Uh, I just just think it's awesome. That's just the part of history that's that's fun, right? You're visiting places that amazing things took place or amazing people lived, and it's just kind of cool. Uh, So if you haven't been there, I would strongly recommend it. You can hit all three of those really within a short amount of time. King George I and King George II were most interested in handling the affairs that were really important to England, like the many wars that it was participating in, especially the conflict with Spain and France. In 1756, England began the Seven Years' War, which is also called the French and Indian War. This war and the events that took place during it had a lot to do with the war that followed, the American Revolutionary War. Uh, George Washington, uh, during this time, during this war, 
uh, he became known. He became famous. Um, before that, he was a surveyor, and obviously, knowing that George Washington is 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 my boy and my passion, will have a show dedicated to him. But he really became known during this war, and he may have actually started the French and Indian War with a certain event. And we're going to be discussing the French and Indian War and what George Washington's role was and what he did probably going to start that next episode it's a crazy story that you won't want to miss i mean i love the american revolution but when you look at the french and indian war it man it puts everything together um and then you get to really see how and why people did certain things later on uh, and how this formed many opinions and it's and it's just important to know so we're going to dive into the french and indian war next episode so again during the reigns of the kings and queens and and all of that the 13 colonies were were left alone they didn't get a whole lot of attention kind of just do your own thing yes uh england was in control of it but they didn't really get too involved and during that time the colonies flourished so after King George II died, King George III took over in 1760, and like the predecessors before him, he too focused on everything but the colonies, and they continued to prosper, grow, and enjoy the riches that uh, America provided, and it was plentiful. Living in England in the 18th century did offer only two types of lifestyles the very, very rich or the very, very poor. And there was hardly anything in between what we would call now the middle class. Uh, The Industrial Revolution took place around 1750, which made the rich even richer. And as you may have guessed, the poor even poorer. Due to the new inventions and new machines, many, many jobs were eliminated, leaving a whole lot of people out of work. So it was a, a little destitute. Uh, London at the time had a population of 600,000 people, and 100 years later, that population would double. And for comparison, the 13 colonies had a population of around 2 million. Uh, so all spread out, we had 2 million, and London had 600,000. So just so you have a, a good comparison there. Tea became a very popular drink in the 1700s. Not only for the rich, but also the poor, uh, which may may answer some questions on uh, how tea became such a hot topic, um, let's say, in Boston. <laughs> we'll be covering that in a future show. What did the poor eat in England back then? Well, they ate potatoes and bread, and rarely, if ever, did they have meat. Having meat at their meal was unheard of. And meat was a luxury and super uncommon, at least for the poor. Uh, For every thousand babies that were born in England in the 18th century, half, 50%, died before reaching the age of two. That's a bad deal. Bad water, poor hygiene, lack of protein, lack of nutrients, and having a balanced diet were, were the main reason that half of people born died. Now, school at the time was not mandatory, so kids um, 
and many of which were orphans, they roamed the streets looking for any handouts, food, anything of value that they could get their hands on, and anywhere that might be a spot to stay warm and safe and dry at night so they could sleep. I mean, can you even imagine as an adult, let alone a kid, living like that? Um, The cities were loud, it was crowded, it was dirty, it rained a lot in London, so if you combine everything all together, kind of envision that it was not a optimal place to live, but it was even worse for the poor. Now, people rarely married for love in England during the time, right? Aren't you supposed to marry somebody that you love? Um, not in England at that time. The rich married the rich, basically to ensure that their lineage would stay intact. And oftentimes women would become pregnant before the actual marriage took place. And the reason they did that was to ensure that she was fertile and could have children. So sometimes if they found out that she couldn't have kids, then the guy would not marry her. And again, they wanted to ensure that their uh, wife was fertile, they could have kids and continue the lineage and family tree uh, so that they would keep the wealth in the family. The other reason that women didn't marry uh, somebody outside of their high society was their family and friends. It would be a devastating event and they didn't want to have to explain or deal with why they may have married down. It happened in other places too. They wanted to make sure that that their families weren't mingled with the poor and uh, this wasn't the only place that this took that this happened but <laughs> when you think about it it's it's pretty pretty bad considering you should be marrying the one that you love but not not then. With the growth and population um, and trade, crime came along with it. In fact, many offenses that we might consider minor today, the sentence was death. But instead of putting them to death by hanging, a person in England was often given an alternate choice. So they would say, uh, you committed this crime, I'm going to put you to death, or you have the option to move to the 13 colonies. I would think that would be a fairly easy decision. Uh, My decision would be moving to the colonies. But there are records, although there's few, that chose death over sailing to America. There's a recorded 50,000 convicts that arrived in America during um, this time because they chose living here as opposed to serving out their sentence, which was death. So a lot of people that came over weren't necessarily the royalty, (laughs) initially at least. Over half of England lived at or below the poverty level, and many of them were living at what we might consider today as the survival level. The bare necessities, they barely had those, so it was uh, not good. So with inflation and poverty, uh, never being able to own land, Um, or have any current or future success. That's a doom and gloom type deal, but those are some of the reasons why people moved and left England and came to America. They wanted a better way of life. They wanted to have land. They wanted to have an opportunity to have food and and get out from under uh, the situation that they were in. And, as we discussed in our last episode, religious freedom was another reason that people risked the trek to come to America. 
Religious groups such as the Puritans and the Pilgrims established some of the first major colonies, such as Massachusetts Bay Colony and the Plymouth Colony. I mean, when I think of living in England during this time, unless you were rich, it's pretty bad. But it's accurate, and sometimes the truth isn't pretty. But if it gives you kind of a conceptual feel of... You know, you're living there, you, you don't have much, you're never going to have much, You there's no opportunity to move forward, there's no opportunity for success, and, and there's this country, or these 13 colonies that England owns, far, far away, that is flourishing. I mean, that that's a big draw, and that's why a lot of people came over. So, hopefully you have a good idea of what it looked like to live in England, and next week we're going to start talking about the French and Indian War and how many famous people got their start or became known during that war. And having a good understanding and background of it and all the people involved is going to help us as we get closer to the American Revolution. Uh, there are many links and additional resources for this episode and all of our episode, which is located on our website under Broadside. And you can find them by episode and allows you to dig deeper into whatever topic or person that you want. Um, our goal is to provide you with quality links that's packed full of information and accuracy that are relating to the topics that we discuss. There's a ton of links out there, and I've said this before, but I don't, I don't care to send, send you to 500 places and, and, and hope that you like them. We want to list quality links that is going to provide and give you quality, right? Quality over quantity. So until next week, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and that you and your family are blessed. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope that you tune in next week. Each show is going to drop one time per week. We're going to have some bonus episodes, so make sure you subscribe so you'll get notified when a new show is available. And all of our contact information is in the show notes, but everything that you possibly could need is on our website, patriotpowerpodcast.com.